Hello, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to design and develop cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings, as much as the buildings themselves. A number of local authorities have established in-house developers with a view to reinvesting profits while circumventing procurement rules, such as frameworks. Today we meet up with one of the most exciting, Brick by Brick, the private developer arm of Croydon Council, which is developing 50 sites across the borough for housing. Six years into their founding and on the cusp of hopefully seeing a return on their investments, Chloe Phelps, head of design for Brick by Brick and its architecture studio, Common Ground, takes me on a walk across Croydon on a very frosty morning to show me some of the first fruits of their labours, including two sites of homes on existing estates that are very nearly complete. I'm uh, (laughs) uh, Chloe Phelps and I'm Head of Design for Brick by Brick and Common Ground Architecture. So I kind of head up um, or kind of ensure kind of all of our schemes achieve the design quality and aspirations that we want and um, we uh, and also kind of head up the design practice that kind of enables Kind of us having a whole team of people to kind of support that but also do um, design work in our own right for some of our schemes. So tell me about Brick by Brick. So um, Brick by Brick was set up about three years ago uh, by Croydon Council um, with the ambition to basically do something a bit different. Um, we needed to, Croydon had been really only producing about 20 new homes a year and so it was kind of a need to really step up and actually kind of start kind of doing kind of council-led delivery on new homes in the borough Um, and there was also a need in terms of kind of council cuts uh, for councils to actually do something different in terms of raising their own revenue to be able to fund themselves moving forward into the future so establishing brick by brick kind of allowed um, kind of some freedoms in terms of kind of getting going it's a limited company so it's kind of moves outside of the uh, sorry I'm kind of gabbling now no it's good <laughs> yeah it's a limited company how does it raise funding so at the moment we buy our funding from the council uh, so they make money off of that at the moment but once we've kind of get through the next couple of cycles of or selling our first few homes, we should be debt free. Um, and then we'll have money to reinvest in kind of future developments. So what have you learned from the beginning? Some of the things that... Um, I think there's definitely a kind of have ambition and vision and get on with it. And kind of I think what we've been trying to do is focus on kind of delivery. Um, we kind of... We've talked about it being a master plan in the past, but it's kind of almost like an anti-master plan where we kind of, it's kind of a, we're focusing on all the smaller sites, which are traditionally very difficult to bring forward because they're a lot more expensive than a lot of other um, developments. We're also working in kind of the outer London kind of bubble. So um, we get central London construction costs, but outer London values. Um, so those have been challenges, I guess. Why yes. go? Why go for that small site? 
Well, it's kind of what the only sites that are really available in Croydon, um, and that's kind of been part of the reason why it hasn't historically done that much in terms of housing delivery. Uh, so we were looking at doing uh, smaller sites, which well, bringing them together into a bigger program so we can work to the economies of scale and um, also demonstrate that you can make these little sites work and you can really... You we also didn't really want to get into wholesale estate regeneration. Um, so it was kind of looking at little infill sites around the borough and kind of turning a little into a lot, basically. So turning 50 sites into 2,000 new homes. So by doing this kind of patchwork of little sites, you're getting the economy of scale because you're developing them all at once. Yes. Yeah, so we've got kind of, we make I mean, we're also not just kind of trying to do them in kind of the most basic way. We're also got aspirations that we want to do something different. We want to have a, you know, a decent quality home for everybody as kind of a kind of a base standard rather than a luxury. So we've kind of got kind of really nice interior finishes, but not kind of over the top interior finishes, but just kind of nice quality materials. Everything that you touch is kind of a nice finish. So kind of by working with the, uh, the scale of the programme, we can really start to kind of hone that across the, all the sites. So you're a private company. Yep but working for the council. So how do you, how does that make you differ from other private developers? Um, I think we see ourselves as a kind of a socially conscious developer. I mean, our, all of our profits go back to fund frontline services within the council. Um, and I think what we're seeing is because all of that, we're also kind of established by the council that we kind of see ourselves as a developer that's kind of setting an agent for change in terms of we're kind of deliberately pushing the boundaries in terms of design quality throughout the borough um, which perhaps is a conversation that's been had in the central London kind of boroughs but in terms of outer London where the finances are a little bit more squeezed it's kind of seen as a more of a luxury item and I think what we're trying to prove is that good design doesn't need to come with a price tag it, you know it can it can be something that kind of is there for everybody to enjoy um, the kind of IKEA approach to design yeah I guess so yeah um, so that's kind of how I guess we see ourselves I mean in many aspects we are quite similar to a normal developer so in many ways you are similar to a private developer because yeah, we, we 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 have to kind of act in a commercial way from the way that we're established. We need to make sure that each of our projects stacks up in a financial um, financial terms as we take it forward. We get asked quite a lot by other people, you know. Well, presumably this one's making a loss in order for that one to be built. Um, and there is a bit of balancing the books, but generally it's everything's got to stack up, otherwise. Why are we doing it, basically? So, do you get an easier ride at planning? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, we get treated in exactly the same way as another developer would get treated. Um, we are an external company when it comes to planning. Um, we kind of have quite pushy schemes. 
in terms of what we want to get on them. So they quite rightly kind of challenge us in terms of whether that's the right thing to do. Um, and we kind of, we very much kind of make sure that what we're doing is above board and kind of not being seen to get an easy ride. <laughs> when you um, think of the areas in which you're developing, what, how do you characterize them as places? Um, I mean, I think this comes back to uh, kind of how we kind of commission um, a lot of the architectural teams. Um, the places of Croydon are quite varied. You'll kind of see as we kind of go on the walk today that there's, um, we're obviously in kind of Crystal Palace, but we're now walking over towards South Norwich and the, the character of these places changes quite a lot. Like you can turn one corner and it's completely different again. So I think that was one of the reasons why we've got so many, we've got, I mean, we're working with about 11 or 12 different architecture practices. We could have very easily come up with a standard house type and just gone, right, we're gonna roll these out across the whole borough on all of these sites. And I think we kind of appreciated from the outset that these kind of all need to be treated very carefully and very specifically. So we commissioned this different, these different teams of architects to really go and kind of explore the character of the places and then really come up with kind of bespoke designs for those uh, specific sites. Um, I think, I guess, a lesson learned is that perhaps in the future, we will probably look to standardise a bit more because we have completely gone and allowed them to kind of do kind of quite bespoke designs on different sites. Um, but I think that's also where the kind of the interiors comes back into play, where we've kind of we've standardised components rather than overall buildings. And that kind of allows us to kind of balance the variety with getting the economies of scale. And you're about the kind of standard of design. Was there a space standard that you adhered to that was different than the London standards or um, um, other kind of philosophical values that you put in place? Um, at the moment, we the first kind of tranche of sites, we're kind of working with the space standards that kind of are set as guidance at the moment, I think. Our ambition was really about starting off and getting these sites going. And I think as we move forward in our next pipeline of sites, we're starting to think about other ways that we can um, kind of create more appropriate and kind of responsive kind of interiors. So we're looking at doing more co-housing uh, in the next tranche. Um, and... Um, uh, is social rent or, or private rent on the agenda? Um, it's afford so we've got affordable rent on ours at the moment. Um, but I think as yeah, I mean I think there's an ambition that we start to do more affordable and social rent as part of our program. Um, and I think it just depends how kind of the funding and the kind of the removal of the red tape from central government trickles down and how we then work with the council. I think that's still kind of in the early stages of how we adapt what our business model is. Um, but it's certainly something. Is this our first yes, site? Yes, this is it. So tell me where we are. So we are at um, Auckland Rise and Sylvan Hill, which is an estate um, built in the 50s. Um, 
and HTA have kind of put forward a scheme which has got five new infill plots uh, and we're right at the bottom of the hill um, of this estate um, and then this is the first block just on the left hand side um, which will have uh, six new homes in it. Um, so what was this site? So I mean this was open space um, on the estate uh, and there is still and that looks out onto a green on the other side uh, which kind of sits with um, another building to the left and these buildings are very much this you'll kind of get it as we go up the hill there's a very windy street that goes up and I think we've really it's quite a challenging site because there's quite an awful lot of earthworks that are required and you could kind of say that the original blocks were put in quite the um, in the easier spots so to speak as they go up um, but there's an awful lot of landscaping that's come forward with this scheme you can't really appreciate it at the moment because there's quite a lot of open mud but um, it's the idea that this is a very landscape led scheme and we've got some pictures that we can show you in the marketing suite when we get back um, but there'll be another block here on the right hand side um, and then there's kind of two more sites that kind of scatter between these ones and how was the um, how did the community engagement go on this site and how does it maybe differ to other estate regeneration projects um, they've all been quite on this particular site it was quite challenging I think we we've learned a lot as we've gone through the process as well um, it's very uh, in terms of how we've dovetailed kind of the site selection with the council because the council selected and put forward a number of sites in the first instance that could be used for uh, housing infill and development and then we've kind of picked it up so I think as it moves forward and we kind of do more sites I think that process needs to be more kind of engaged. Mm -hmm. I mean on one hand nobody's actually had to move. No but they are having buildings built right close to them and kind of we've We've had a number of engagements um, with local residents on this as it's obviously gone through all the way to site. And I think there's a, um, uh, I kind of th think the team who are working on this kind of very closely have got good kind of working relationships with people on the estate now. And there's things that the, the development will bring to the estate in terms of new uh, play equipment and new landscaping treatments and new gardens and allotments that they can use and manage themselves. So it's making sure that that's really the benefit is felt. Yeah. 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 Do you have any advice on community engagement? Anything that you've learned through these sites? <laughs> um, expect the unexpected. <laughs> I think um, there's never, we've done kind of quite a few of them now. So it's, there's always something different on it on each site that we encounter like some of them you think are going to be you're going to meet a lot of resistance you don't and then others kind of it cuts something completely different comes out of it so I think it's just about listening um, and working with them uh, and I think on a number of estates we've had well there's there's, there's, uh, there's another set of sites down in the south of the borough where there was a development that was being brought forward by the council for a really long time on one of the car parks that the local community were really against. Um, 
and then we took it on with a number of other sites around it um, and it um, and we kind of were getting into a bit of a stalemate with that's got a community centre on it that's got a car park nobody wants anything to happen on this one um, but we did quite a lot of work with the local community to kind of figure out what they actually wanted and it turned out we can move the community centre from this one site to another one that uses up that existing building that frees up that one for residential we can kind of bring this larger site forward for residential as well um, and uh, and it kind of all kind of unveiled and kind of everybody relaxed and went great and they came to planning committee and spoke in support of the scheme so it's kind of really I mean I think we've got the opportunity of working with lots of different sites so if you can really listen and work with community groups it's it works out you can really kind of do something quite special and interesting now when you have um the new residents coming in there are some and this probably is quite a um a smaller site but some of the really big ones are putting on a lot of events for people when they move in and trying to kind of do event-based connecting and there's some, some kind of expectation of that on on the part of the buyers as well is that something you guys get involved in very much or is it just more straight but I think in the, I think we have got an aspiration though for the future that that when you buy a brick by brick home you feel like you've kind of joined something in a way and I don't know I mean it's going to depend on different sites as they come forward as to how big they are and how much integration we really need to do and how much will naturally happen anyway I think there's a certain amount of seeing who our buyers are going to be and who's actually going to move into these homes. So it's kind of it's we're assuming that it's people that are kind of first-time buyers or downsizers or kind of people moving from kind of central London looking for something a bit bigger. Um, so it's kind of yeah, it's, it's quite difficult to say. Let's have a let's have a big party if you don't really know who it's going to be yet. <laughs> so what is the the mix in terms of number of bedrooms? Uh, yeah, this site is one and two bedrooms, um, and then the one that we're going up towards, which is a five-minute walk away, is uh, two and three-bedroom apartments, and then three-bedroom houses, family houses. Yeah. Um, and that's a mix of um, shared ownership and open market sale with help to buy available if it's within that price range. How, how difficult is it to get that mix right of how many affordable help to buy shared ownership I mean, do, is that all um, stipulated through the planning process or is that something that you try to come up with as a financial model um, it's kind of a bit of a I don't think there's any direct recipe uh, for how we've done it it's um, I think when we brought these this site and the other one forward it was part of kind of a bigger tranche of kind of uh, kind of 40 odd sites that went into planning at the same time um, and it was very much like we were quite a small team so it was at that point I and mean, we're not massive now but there was only there was less than 10 of us and it was kind of really kind of working with what's the appropriate kind of type of homes to put on this site um, and kind of kind of just feeling our way around it to a certain extent in terms of finding the right mix um, and it could be quite instinctive. Um, 
And I think it'll probably carry on being that way, partly because the type of sites that we've got. It's not kind of one big site where we need to make a big decision about strategically we want to deliver X number of three beds and this number of two beds and it will be this amount of affordable on this particular scheme. It's a lovely sound of a bird. Yeah. <laughs> it's very peaceful. There's a lovely view in a second when you get to the top of this bit. You talked about Coinin and its hills. I mean, it is quite special for having lots of views around. Yeah, it's, there's quite, I mean, the, the valley, I mean, it's basically a valley that runs from the north of the borough down to the south. Um, it's a bit, Croydon means Crocus Valley. Um, and so it's quite an unusual kind of London type. Um, but yeah, kind of fantastic views like that on top of the hill. So, not that you can see that on a podcast. <laughs> Trust us, it's there. <laughs> oh, great. So tell me about this development that we're staring at. So this is the top part of... Um, the scheme for Auckland Hill and Sylvan Rise. So this is Church Road. And um, this was designed by HTA. Um, and it's quite, they've got, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite a humble kind of, you can almost say London vernacular type approach, but it works quite nicely with the uh, 1950s buildings to kind of either side. And it's almost kind of, it doesn't, it needs to be quite humble on this estate. This isn't a kind of a big adventurous estate. It's kind of, it's more about the landscape meandering down the hill and HGA's landscape team worked really hard on kind of um, kind of reinforcing that meandering route that we've just walked up the hill. Um, and I think when the landscaping's actually in, it will be really nice. Um, but yeah, so this is kind of a development of one and two bedroom um, flats uh, in the block that we're looking at. It's quite typical, I guess, of some of our programme in terms of it's uh, a three or four storey block. Um, we kind of promote using timber frame, a panelised timber frame, uh, which, come, which is kind of fabricated off site, um, which is quite an elemental kind of approach to modular construction, but we did it because it kind of it suits kind of our sites in terms of being able to not have too much noisy work happening on site they're not we've kind of did quite a long modular review about can we build more volumetric off-site and I think the nature of our sites being quite bespoke each is a very different shape so I think it's something we want to kind of push more and more in the future but using this timber frame approach kind of suited our first program um, and it's clad in brick because that's what we're called. <laughs> but we, we like, um, we don't have huge budgets. Uh, we find brick is, I mean, it's a bit tried and tested now in uh, London, but we like it as a really nice, robust material that actually ends up being a lot cheaper than a lot of other forms of construction. And it's going to stand the test of time. We, don't, we try not to use brick slips. We try to use solid bricks. Um, and so this is kind of, I guess, typifies kind of some of our projects that we've got coming forwards. Do you have any fears of not enough brickies? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we definitely, uh, there's definitely issues with uh, good quality um, brickies. And I think that's one thing that we're working with uh, 
Croydon Council, sorry, Croydon College on in terms of supporting kind of apprenticeships and we're doing a lot of awful lot of work with them. Um, kind of try and promote getting local people involved in getting trained on sites. And I think we in the future want to start to become a bit more savvy about how we're procuring our buildings. This first programme was all design and build and I think we know we need to get more integrated into the supply chain which will help I think in kind of get us the people that we want to be building our buildings. How do you, what, so what, what approach would you take then to make it more um, I think we're, we're kind of at the beginning of the journey really but um, kind of doing more kind of working more with specific subcontractors um, I think a lot of our money it's not kind of dissimilar to a lot of other developers goes into the groundworks um, and like as you've just seen we've walked up this hill there's an awful lot of groundworks going on on this estate so we're looking at ways that we can kind of work with kind of specific supply chains of different parts of the buildings and then whether or not we change out that changes how we procure things in the future but I think we're starting to head that way. Um, right, so the next site is um, it's another HTA scheme, but it's a bit different to this one. I'm going to head this one, maybe go down to the zebra crossing <laughs> rather than run chicken across the road. So what drew you to HTA as an architectural practice? Um, we kind of went with, um, I mean, I think I was saying earlier how we wanted a variety of different architecture practices to work with um, to specifically kind of respond to the different characters of different places and uh, we um, deliberately went with HTA as one of the one of the bigger practices um, but we also have worked or chose to work as well with people at the other end of the scale in terms of much smaller practices that perhaps wouldn't get onto the normal housing or council housing kind of frameworks because they don't have that kind of track history or they can't really tick all the boxes so we really went for kind of spreading kind of our experience through from people like VPPR um, who perhaps hadn't done much residential work for uh, councils at the time um, although that's changing now um, and then kind of at the other end of the scale was going to somebody like HTA as kind of a well-respected kind of um, architecture practice and landscape and also the, the, a good thing for us about them was their community engagement um, history um, and that was one of the reasons why we engaged we got them uh, involved on a lot of the bigger estates that we've got coming forwards because they're just they're just really great at listening and kind of integrating that into their designs so going forward has that informed your approach do you think you were saying you might not quite go for different architects on every site but do you think that there's still a place for the the smaller absolutely I think that's kind of one of the main reasons um, we wanted to I think a lot of developments happened in central Croydon um, by a lot of kind of similar larger London practices um, and I think that was one of the ambitions from the outset of commissioning all these different architects was to work with people who perhaps hadn't worked in the borough before, uh, were doing really interesting things um, and we've got the benefit of not having to work with frameworks so um, certainly I think we're kind of still got that ambition when we work when we kick off with the next range of sites to kind of work with probably a few tried and tested names.
because uh, there's some really exciting architects out there, um, but also kind of find people that aren't on the radar yet um, and really promote that as... It'd be interesting to hear about your journey into um, your current role. So, yeah. Uh, you were form previously at Croydon Council. Yes. But so, maybe tell me your story. So I joined uh, Croydon Council's uh, placemaking team uh, five years ago, almost exactly to this week, um, from kind of being in the private sector. And I really wanted to do something a bit different. And um, I'd always kind of be, I think it's a similar story to a lot of architects, kind of we want to do something more, you want to do something more about to do with the public good. Um, always been interested in kind of more than kind of what's within my red line boundary um, and kind of really appealed to me I think as architects you quite often work on a scheme you get it to site you get it built and then you go away and you never go back <laughs> and you kind of like you never really um, kind of engage with the building but you feel like it's yours even though you don't live there or do anything with it um, so kind of working in the public sector really appealed to me from that sense because it's kind of you have more of a custodian type role. So I worked in uh, placemaking where I, was, I guess I was attracted from Vincent Lacavara who was there for a long time who kind of established a really strong placemaking team presence um, and I worked in the planning team for a couple of years um, and really enjoyed it. Um, and but found myself kind of busying <laughs> around different council departments doing housing capacity studies for regen people and kind of realized I like making things as well as kind of uh, being uh, being part of this kind of custodian or guardian of a place um, and uh, kind of the uh, that kind of Aligned with the time that uh, Jonah Greeny, who's the chief executive of the council, and Colin Lacey, who's now MD of um, Brick by Brick, um, kind of joined the council and started kind of really thinking about how can we innovate with housing delivery. Um, and so I, I guess I just encountered them and they said, do you want to come and be part of this? Um, and that's kind of how I got involved in doing uh, my current role. Um, and it's kind of evolved from there, really, of kind of really being at the very beginning point of how do we how do we bring these sites? But yeah, and it's just been. I mean, it, I, I mean, I absolutely love it. It's no day is no day is the same. Uh, every year so far has been different. Um, the first year was all about getting stuff off the ground, commissioning architects, kind of writing the brief. The year after was about kind of getting the planning consents in and turning them into kind of figuring out how we were going to procure them and make them make these projects real, which was probably the biggest risk in terms of finding contractors who could build these homes for the price we wanted to build them for. Have and you tended to work with smaller contractors? Yeah, it's been a bit of a mix. Um, we've got kind of some kind of quite local house builders. Uh, we've got some bigger... Um, bigger contractors but they tend to be we've stayed away from kind of the big contractors um, partly because they just wouldn't really be interested in the, kind of the small packages of work that we've got so in many ways we've gone to contractors that are a bit like the architects that we're working with the contractors that are looking to take that next step 
in terms of taking all like say we're working with a lot with Henry's construction who are um, were a groundworks contractor and are kind of taking on more and more sites or projects across London but they're really looking to become move into the main contracting market so we're doing an awful lot of work with them so it's kind of finding people who are looking to take that next step on the ladder really so we can grow with them at the same time uh, so we're just coming up to another project here um, this is Ravensdale um, we're right on the top of the ridge line here so the views so this is probably one of our tallest um, in terms of the smaller sites program it's seven stories high but from the about the fifth floor you get these amazing views into central London and from about the second floor this way you get really lovely views over Croydon um, and this one is designed by... This is HGA as well. Uh, so we, I guess, kind of we're looking at a lot of the HGA ones because we did kind of group them by proximity and type of kind of development. So, uh, But it's quite different in terms of its design approach to the other one, uh, which is, you can't really... Uh, I'll show you some images later. I think there's a bit of brickwork coming up on this one, but it's kind of uh, red and grey banded brick and a little mini tower that sits at the top of this hill um, that's kind of not too far away from the old Beulah Bar. So brick because it's traditional, hard-wearing? It's just kind of the best, I mean, for the sort of budgets that we're working on, it's, uh, we just think, we love it as a material. You can kind of get some fantastic bricks uh, in the price range that we're working with. And I think, they'll just look really good for the next few years and I think uh, we, we can't really have, yeah in terms of and I don't think it limits kind of our the our design team's creativity and when we don't we don't prescribe it we don't say you must use this so we have got some schemes that don't have brick on them um, but we do promote it as something it's again kind of a component based approach where we've got a a brick supplier that we work with they do us a good price on it we've got kind of a palette of a number of bricks that we're working with um, although that's ever increasing um, and oh, it's not a banded bit of brickwork on the back <laughs> and then round the back is completely different kind of scale um, where this is kind of where the three three bedroom homes are uh, houses are with gardens uh, and parking so i guess we've tried to kind of develop or kind of going back to your question earlier about how we decide what goes in terms of a mix on each site this one kind of just split itself quite naturally into an apartment block right on the corner and kind of kind of three bedroom homes kind of tucked away in the kind of so was park. this a green? No, this was garages. Okay. Had kind of this parking block of garages in the middle of them, which were no longer fit for purpose in terms of they're too narrow to get a modern day car in them. Um, so people were just parking in front of them. In fact, one of the blocks of garages at the end, they, the council just demolished because people wanted parking spaces and not kind of garages that they couldn't get in. So whilst this kind of looks quite close, <laughs> It's, uh, it is replacing something that um, wasn't particularly pleasant at the middle of this estate. So this is, there's a series of 
three rows of terraces with some landscape between them. Um, so they get some of the parking back and kind of a landscaped area and kind of play space within the middle of the estate. So the, I mean, if you describe it, it is like, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit like um, a, s a small housing development has kind of s sprung up in the middle of, of what was, it's kind of slotted in. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It's a bit like dropping like a Monopoly house down in the yeah. middle. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's quite um, nicely done in terms of its proximity. It does feel near, but it doesn't feel as tall I guess if the if the height was higher, it would feel a little. Yeah, closer. and there was with this, I get this had a lot of conversations with the planners about you know what's the right form of development on this site, and if we just walk up, this bit's kind of the tightest bit. But and if you walk, I think we can walk all the way around the the outside of this. Oh, this is a site plan to give you an idea. Um, so we've kind of come in along the path at the back, but the main road comes in on the other side, um, and then there's these. Uh, rows of houses so this will have and I think when we go around the other side we'll be able to see what that looks like so um, just to the right of this house there'll be quite an open space that all of these houses will look onto but we're kind of here at the moment. So how do you work with I guess one of your main issues must be light yeah so how do you uh, how do you navigate the right to light on these estates when you're kind of using these um, plots that aren't, aren't really predetermined, you're kind of finding them yeah. amongst the house. Um, we kind of, it's all to do with kind of looking at the patterns of the houses as they are at the moment. Um, on one side, kind of, I think on this estate, all of the um, kind of uh, habitable rooms are on the other side. So in terms of, we've worked very hard looking at where all the entrances are, where all the living spaces are, and then really kind of where can we put homes that um, kind of make the most out of the site that we're working on but also kind of integrate well into the form of development and I think in terms of daylight and sunlight on this estate there's oh, we're not going to be able to get through I oh, might be able to get through um, we've kind of orient, orientated the blocks in the other direction to the existing houses so that you still get views out of the existing houses towards kind of nice spaces so their outlook is still good or ideally better than it was. And how did this one go in planning? We spent a long time in pre-app on this one. Um, I think in terms of actually getting planning consent it was relatively straightforward um, but there was quite a lot of um, pre-application engagement, a lot of kind of community engagement. Um, and there was a lot of talk. I think the landscape was a really key thing on this estate as well. Um, and parking. <laughs> parking again. Parking again. And landscape in terms of what they wanted to what, get out of the redevelopment. Yeah, what will go back. So this was kind of, um, this was part of what the original kind of um, ramp up to one of the gardens was. So, I mean, not gardens, garages. Um, so in terms of what was here, wasn't that brilliant and they did have a little community garden but it wasn't particularly well used so I think as we kind of developed this with the local community uh, and the planners it was kind of how do we make all of these things better than they were to start off with um, at the same time as bringing forward some new homes 
Um, yeah, so this is kind of, we're just on the other side of the development now. Um, and then this is the road as we go up. Um, and this complete soon, I'm guessing, yeah. by this bite stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this one should be finished in March. Um, uh, I think the houses will be finished. Uh, this is, I think the ones at the other end, which we'll walk past as we go out, will be finished very, very soon. I think they're putting kitchens and bathrooms in at the moment. So these will be one of the first ones that will be handed over, which is really exciting. Yeah. So, so that's a big milestone. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean that every year is different at the moment. So you're about to go on a new learning curve. Yeah. Of Unfortunately, right on the cusp of uh, Brexit. Brexit. Yeah. Has that, <laughs> is that a, I mean, obviously that's an unpredictable um, equation at the moment. Yeah. Uh, is that a concern? I mean, it's it's not not a concern. Um, <laughs> um, I think we are conscious that perhaps um, uh, we won't sell the homes as quickly as we perhaps first thought. Um, so we're starting to think about how that's going to be marketed and managed. Um, but I think in terms of uh, kind of the overall Brexit impact, I think it's. It's very much, I kind of, well, I've got to wait and see really, but there's also, um, I think the types of homes that we're creating, we're not pitching it at kind of the higher market level. These are kind of designed to be affordable for everyday kind of people who there still will be a housing need. Uh, and we've... And there'll be a lot of people who, like you said, are looking to live somewhere. Yeah. Um, who are local or anywhere across London looking for an affordable place to live. They're very handsome. Yeah, these are really, really lovely. Um, and I think you can see now we're standing by in that gap. We were, Before, when we first came into the estate, we were right around the other side in that small gap, which is very much kind of, kind of the back into the estate whereas you can kind of see these two houses kind of frame quite what will be quite a nice landscaped square really um yeah so and they feel very enjoy. in keeping and respectful of the original estate yeah i think it's it will be interesting to see how how the the place grows and changes once they're done and new people have moved in and your landscaping is in um how maybe it changes the perception of it. But I could understand there being kind of a NIMBY feeling because it is it is quite close and they must feel ownership of yeah. of that land. I mean, yeah. so the value that they get at the end of it, yeah. you know, I mean, construction is painful even if it is your well, own Well, yeah, home. that's exactly. And I think this is probably one of the closer examples that we've got, but it... But it's very respectfully done. Yeah. And I think we've worked quite hard with residents around here to kind of, you know, make sure that their needs are being considered as well. And I think that's kind of why we're looking to try and do as much off-site as we can in the future and kind of keep on pushing that so that there's really minimal kind of interventions um, in terms of kind of dirty site works, so to speak. Which Did you use the off-site for the timber framing yeah. for this as well? Yeah. 
And what does that do in terms of the speed? Is that much faster? It's much faster. These have gone up super quick. Uh, so uh, the tower at the front, well, the tower, it's not really a tower, but um, it's kind of concrete frame because uh, doing that out of panelised timber frame was kind of pushing it a little bit too much. Um, but the houses have just absolutely flown up in terms of the groundworks go in and then you kind of come up the next week and you can start to see the, the shape of the housing coming through. It's, it's great. It's really good. Would you consider, I mean, you said you, didn't, you don't really like brick slips, but are they faster? I think in a lot of cases, the brickwork isn't on the critical path. Um, so we've got the timber frame going up and then that, gets, that kind of gets sealed to a certain extent. The brickwork can go up whilst we're fitting out the internals. So whilst it's, it, it could be quicker, it doesn't actually make the whole build that much faster in terms of the way that we're building at the moment. And it's not particularly noisy, I guess. You're looking at noise and yeah. disruption. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess if there's kind of panels of brickwork coming to site, it, yeah, it's kind of six of one, half a dozen of another. You've still got the trucks coming and you've still got kind of more lifting devices, lifting them into place. What do you think is the, um, for these smaller infill sites, what do you see as the modular possibilities or the offsite construction possibilities? Um, I think it's kind of, I think it's just finding the right manufacturer to work with. We're already having lots of different conversations and it's about slotting in with different supply chains. And I think for us, um, we've, we have got some taller central Croydon schemes where we've considered offsite, but we kind of still need to be able to competitively tender them. Um, and at the moment there isn't enough of a market in that. So we're looking at ways where rather than going full scale, jumping into volumetric, is there better ways that we can work with panelized construction where we can kind of start, as I was saying earlier, kind of start to... So using panels as opposed to an entire... Yeah. So that think, you have more flexibility. Yeah, and I think, you, and I think as we get further down the line it would be nice to consider more in terms of volumetric but I think it's just finding the right manufacturers to do that that suit our business model we can work with their business model um, so we're just doing a lot of talking at the moment <laughs> finding out who's out there and what we could possibly do when you look forward yeah into the future yep um, where do you see brick by brick what's its journey um i mean we want to kind of turn into a we're basically where we are with our program at the moment is kind of realizing 2000 new homes by 2022 and i think beyond that we want to kind of settle down into a pattern of kind of finishing 500 new homes a year um, and kind of turning into a sustainable developer when i say sustainable i mean a sustainable business model that it's not just about develop, delivering these smaller sites in Croydon for the first tranche it's kind of it's actually a kind of viable business model and so we're looking at acquiring sites uh, working with other boroughs and kind of really just becoming another developer in the London mix so to speak who will look do the management of the affordable rent so they're going back to um, the council in the form of going to a 
charitable trust that's been set up called Croydon Affordable Homes. Um, so, and that's partly to kind of avoid them being sold off immediately on the right to buy. So the council gets to retain those as an asset. Um, and so the council will basically become the uh, owner and managing, managing agent on those homes. There's so many pieces. I mean, it might be like good to place in context, like how radical is this whole setup in, um, in the world of councils and where are there <laughs> other people doing this? Or? Uh, there are. Um, I think there's lots of different councils doing very similar things, um, but everybody's doing it in quite a different way um, or subtly different way. And that's partially driven by what that local borough needs, kind of how the politics work in that area, uh, kind of what they've managed to achieve in kind of corporate vision in terms of getting stuff off the ground. I guess where we are kind of perhaps more radically different is we, were, we got out the starting blocks quite quickly and we kind of had, we were fortunate in that in the fact that there was kind of a corporate vision and a political vision that kind of aligned and that kind of allowed us to kind of have that confidence to really move forward really quickly um, and I think we've kind of pioneered I guess making it possible to do a kind of a large number of homes on these small sites that people do struggle to get going um, and really kind of make sure that they're really good new homes as well and not just kind of just about okay <laughs> so I guess I mean it's radical but it's not that radical um, now that you're sitting on the private development side are there policy or planning things that you would like to see changed um, yes <laughs> yes and no um, I think well it's been quite interesting how planning policy has already changed through our three-year journey anyway um, there's in terms of the council they've kind of they know in terms of what they've got to achieve in terms of pure numbers of housing delivery not just by the council but by the borough I think they need something like 30,000 in by 2032 or something um, that they can't achieve that on just the big sites that are in the metropolitan centre they know that to be able to achieve that they need to be looking at um, suburban kind of or rethinking how the suburbs function um, and uh, so they've actually kind of got a new piece of policy which is a suburban design guide which is it's not adopted yet but it's been out for consultation and they're just kind of uh, reviewing it following that that really does kind of start to address a lot of the conversations we were having early on about kind of how close it's appropriate to build to kind of existing homes in the suburbs where that conversation hasn't really been had how do we sustainably evolve the character of the suburbs and how can we make them better places to live so that piece of planning policy is actually going to be very useful for us in terms of shaping what we're doing um, and I think what else would we change in planning policy terms I'm just trying to think <laughs> but that's really that is like a really innovative planning policy um, that is going to really 
transform how kind of the sorts of sites that we're working on will come forward. And that will unlock them because what you are proposing will then align with what... Yeah, it will be easy. I mean, I think we'll still have some tough conversations, but it will, it kind of sets better guidelines than that were there before. Uh, so when we were working on uh, Ravensdale that we've just walked around, there, the only planning policy guidance was you must be 18 metres away from any kind of overlooking window. And you're like, you can kind of see that spaces that we were in we're kind of much less than that but it's because of how we've orientated the buildings you don't get that overlooking between properties and there's still that sense of privacy um, so that will start to, to unlock yeah. because you you in a way you um, you worked through the thinking of that but actually if it was set in stone yeah. as policy and it's it's yeah. it's things that it's kind of density debates that have already been had in central London and devices that have been employed in lots of different places, but it's it's how do you kind of kind of take that conversation out to kind of areas that have got kind of nice green, big wide spaces between them and kind of actually make the most of this these precious bits of land that we've got kind of within the London kind of donut to avoid us having to kind of start eating up more green belt and more kind of precious urban kind of open spaces. So sensitive densification. Yeah. What about section 106? Yep. Do you find that it's working? Um, I think we do have a section 106 on some of our schemes. Um, I think it's a challenge in terms of councils kind of um, managing where those funds go uh, and people knowing what they can apply for and kind of how they get kind of disseminated in the local area. Um, I think we, I mean, I'm not sure what my answer to this one is. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I've just asked a lot of developers about their opinion of it and it varies yeah. quite a lot. Um, but then also, you know, I remember on um, King's Cross, Argent saying that actually some of the money hasn't been spent in the city. So I guess I just am wondering, um, in a general sense, about how it's working. Yeah, I think it's, I, I do generally think it's better if the development does something rather than a pot of money kind of gets kind of sent over to the council. Um, in some instances, I think it is the right thing to do, and I think councils, are, uh, there's a differing quality in kind of how they spend that money or manage that pot of money. Um, and certainly in kind of central Croydon, there's lots going on as a result of Section 106 that's come from a lot of the developments that are springing up. So I guess in that sense, it's, it's kind of a really important thing to do because there's an awful lot of stuff going on in Central Point, a lot of building sites, and it's meant that a lot of meanwhile projects can come forwards to kind of animate the streetscape. I guess when we've got kind of the sort of sites that we're working on, Section 106 contribution, it's quite difficult to kind of figure out where that would go, and it's better to kind of try and do something within the estate in terms of if we can re-provide a play equipment or we can give them a kind of, you know, we can listen to the, the very close and immediate kind of local community and just say, these people, you know, what is it that you would like to see on in where you live? It's better that we can provide that as part of our development, I think. It's a more of an immediate response and we can kind of ensure that it gets delivered. 
Yeah, so uh, it's kind of, uh, there's been the other reaction that says, I don't want to build anything for you, just just take the money and then you do something. Actually, you're saying it's better if actually something tangible yeah. gets built. I mean, we, I mean, we take the approach that, certainly on the types of sites I've just shown you, that we're people's neighbors and we need to be seen to be being neighborly towards them. Um, yes, we're doing construction and yes, those homes are gonna be sold, but we're gonna be, be a part of that development for a really long time. So one of the interesting things about Croydon is it's uh, actually got one of the youngest populations of all of the boroughs in kind of London, the Greater London area. Um, I think probably there's a few other boroughs that might vie for that title, but um, there's an awful lot of teenagers and families that have kind of lived here and kind of, I think that's what's great about Croydon is it still feels like an ordinary place, whereas a lot of kind of central London has kind of shifted and kind of the demographics are changing. It's kind of Croydon is kind of still an affordable place to live and a real place to live. Um, and it's kind of a city within a city as well. And it's got, as well as having lots of different places. So part of the trick to that is going to be keeping ahead of, of the population by providing enough housing that... Yeah, and I think we're deliberately, I think a lot of developers fall into the trap of kind of inflating their prices and kind of pushing them to kind of as high as they can go to obviously maximise profits. Whereas I think we've made sure that as we've kind of developed our homes that they're still affordable at kind of a reasonable price um, and that we're not assuming kind of market inflation and saying by the time we've finished the market will be here and therefore that's fine that we will be able to kind of justify delivering them at that price. Would you say that do you run brick by brick at a lower percentage of profitability than maybe a traditional developer? Um, no, we have to be, um, in terms of how we're established, we have to be seen to be acting in a commercial way. So we still do need to make sure that we generate profit. Um, and we have, I would say, I, I don't know, I've never, I've never worked for another developer, so I don't really know under the bonnet what they're all really achieving. But um, we do target kind of the perceived level of profit. Um, if we don't it's kind of to do with how we're set up because we are a separate limited company it's uh, we need to be kind of commercial in how we operate which allows us to then sidestep a lot of the um, procurement regulations and allows us to act a little bit more quickly and be more nimble which has meant that we've got off the ground a lot quicker than a lot of other developers doing similar things not local authorities doing similar things. Are some of them not so set up on, as private limited companies? No, they're all they're kind of, well. They're all set up in different ways, really. I mean, you've got Hackney who are kind of doing it the traditional way um, in terms of it's it's council led. Um, there's quite a few kind of separate development companies, but some of them are still limited companies, but they don't um, kind of don't mean, meet all the tests that are required in terms of having that separation from the council so they still have to do the public procurement routes and things like that. Um, How do you figure out which one you go to if you're a <laughs> council? Um, I think that's probably where the brainchild behind um, Colm comes in, uh, who's our MD, who kind of is quite good at knowing his way around those sorts of things. Um, uh, and I think it's just kind of figuring out what it's starting at the very beginning about what 
what do you want to achieve? How do you want to do it? Kind of what's the political ambition as well? I mean, the, the Labour brick by brick was kind of set up at the same time as the Labour administration coming in to Croydon. Um, and really like housing, building new housing was on their manifesto. So it's really just been aligned with that and they've been a driving force behind kind of getting us going as well. Um, this is actually one of our sites <laughs> as a different one. So we're right by Norwood Junction Station now um, and in the heart of kind of, so we've moved from Crystal Palace to South Norwood. Uh, so getting kind of slightly further south in the borough um, and we're on Belgrave and Grosvenor, which was um, basically a bomb damaged um, set of uh, it's two streets, Belgrave and Grosvenor. Um, so we're stood within kind of a square almost between the railway and the backs of kind of Victorian kind of shops, which line the three high streets. Um, and in the 50s, 60s, these towers with kind of weights blocks were built. Uh, there's two towers that kind of sit in a very strange configuration on the site uh, with kind of lots of car parking around it. Um, and it's a fantastic site because it's so close to Norwood Junction. It's right in the heart of this district centre. Um, and so we've got uh, a scheme that's about to go on site. So it's been through planning, which basically adds the third tower uh, pretty much here. Um, and, it, and it's got two side developments. So there'll be a block of uh, flats off to the side over there, which will kind of screen the back of those shops. And then a, a, a third block over there behind that other tower on the other side. So is, this is this kind of Corbusian approach to planning. Yeah. <laughs> You've got these two towers planted with some green space between them and then some car parking around. Uh, You've gone for parking for another third tower, but then you've got their smaller scale buildings around the outside. So we've kind of had to, well, and this is another HTA scheme actually, where um, the it's kind of how do you stitch urban fabric into kind of the kind of point tower approach. Um, so it's been quite an interesting kind of diagram of kind of using smaller blocks to kind of help kind of create a more human scale but at the same time kind of really densify the site which has got kind of an amazing kind of p-tail rating i know that shouldn't be the driver for developing but it um this really has got kind of a lot of potential to kind of be densified it's a great spot for new homes and at the moment it's a real backland to the high streets um and so one of the key things that we've done is, as part of that scheme is to really improve the public realm and routes through here. Um, not yet, but there will be. <laughs> and really making more out of this central space over there, which at the moment is kind of fenced off on one side from the road and kind of basically used for kind of dog weeing. Um, uh, and to really turn that into kind of a usable play space and kind of square that these three buildings will look out onto. Um, and I think it will really transform this this space. It's beautiful in the sunshine right now. <laughs> will you have a route through to the station from yes, here? Yes, yeah. So where we've just walked through from the high streets and where you can see that bus coming through, um, that will, these routes will still will be basically be reinforced and um, 
be a much more pleasant space to walk through because the high streets themselves are quite tight. So in terms of, I mean, you kind of saw it when we were on the high street. There's, it's very busy. There's lots of traffic. So this is quite a nice kind of space that something could be made a much more positive place out of. So this next site is the one that um, Common Ground Architecture have designed. So it's our first project designed in-house um, and it's the steel frames just going up now. So tell me about Common Ground because that's your other hat, I yes. guess. <laughs> when was Common Ground founded? So we've, I mean, we officially launched it in like uh, 2017, but since I've been working for Brick by Brick, we've been had a pet project of kind of establishing a practice um, and doing design work. So since I first started working with Brick by Brick, I've been working on Station Road. Um, so it's just evolved into common ground architecture as we've gone along on the journey. Um, and we've really established it as a bit of a, I guess a cottage industry to Brick by Brick. Brick by Brick's a big development company. So we're walking along George Street, which is the office, the street that our office is on a little bit further down. We're now in Croydon downtown. Yep, Central. the Cronks. Um, and uh, we're just walking out the station. We've had Box Park here for a little while. We've got um, Europe's uh, tallest uh, modular tower going up. Another HTA job, but not... <laughs> I'm doing the HTA plug <laughs> today. <laughs> Um, not not one of our projects though, but um, we've got a brick by brick site. As you can see, there's an empty hole just beyond there. That's kind of um, Fairfield Homes uh, site that Micah Architects, who were Rick Mather before, and Common Ground are doing a plot on that as well. Um, so that's kind of just about to go in for planning. Um, so things are changing. And, um, the, and the gorgeous Seafoot building. Yeah, it's overlooking amazing. It all. But it's very different. How How would you quantify this like rapid pace of change is it ten, it's a, 10 years it's a long time in the making um so it's been like in terms of physical change i would say i mean i started working in croydon about five years ago and you there was a lot of talk there was kind of some well-laid master plans a lot of talks with kind of developers um but nothing had really it still looked the same as when i'd come to croydon kind of 10 15 years before and so in the last three, four years, you're really starting to notice kind of things are changing. Um, I think Croydon's come to the point that, um, you know, it's got fantastic connections into central London. I think it's it's got kind of so many kind of opportunities for infill. Um, and I think that up until kind of not very long ago, there wasn't that many people that lived in the Metropolitan Centre. So it's really starting to change as a place now that more and more people are moving in and it's not such a, a daytime place. It was really last time, or I would say one of the first times I came to Croydon, it was so car dominated. Yeah. It didn't feel particularly like a place you wanted to walk. Yeah. Has that changed? Um, I think in part it has. I mean, Wellesley Road, which we'll cross in a minute, is really like still exactly the same and very car dominated. Feels like a really big expressway right in the middle of the town, but it actually doesn't, it just serves some car parks. It doesn't really do very much. 
Um, but I think George Street, there's a lot of work that's gone into the public realm, uh, making pavements wider, putting more crossings in, kind of making more out of, so just on the left-hand side, there's kind of one of the meanwhile uses I was talking about earlier that uh, the council and placemaking team are doing um, to kind of make the most out of kind of the little bits of urban spaces that there are around the town. And I think that's really helped start to change the perception of Croydon. I think for a long time it's been a business opportunity for developers, but it's really how do we shift this kind of perception of Croydon being kind of not particularly interesting place to live. And I think that's starting to change. This boulevard of trees, has that always been there? Yeah, yeah, that's always been there. Uh, well, not always. But, um, <laughs> since the tram. Since the tram went in, in there's been these trees. Um, they're probably not going to get any bigger because of kind of the utilities in the road, which is a bit sad. But I think just kind of the overall urban realm is improving. And I have to mention the inevitable Westfield that's um, on its way. <laughs> So Rich. that is a question because actually walking down the high street, everything is occupied. There's a Waitrose, there's yep. a McDonald's, there's yep. a Sainsbury's, but, but actually there are no real vacant um, shops on this on no, this street or anything like that. Is there a concern that Westfield is going to change the... Well, there's been quite a lot of work with um, to Westfield where um, the site is kind of the former Whitgift Centre, or it still is the Whitgift Centre. So um, there's been quite, there were an awful lot of businesses and local businesses in there. So there was a lot of work the council did in the early stages to make sure that those businesses weren't kind of, uh, were supported as Westfield came in and kind of alternative premises found for them and things like that, which I think has meant that a lot of the high streets around it are kind of are, are quite well occupied. And just, there's a few empty shops around town as I think as the as kind of because this whole site we're now standing at the corner of George Street and Wellesley Road, looking towards where Westfield will go, um, it is going to turn into quite a construction site as a place uh, for a really long time. So I think it will inevitably go through a bit of a drop in terms of people coming here to go shopping, and a lot of the shops have kind of wound up in the Whitgift Centre at the moment. Um, there's a but I think that's kind of where a lot of the meanwhile kind of high street pop-up type things will come into, come into play. What do they do for a place, the meanwhile pop-up things? Um, I think in, there's, they've got a mixture of things. So in, in a physical way, there's a number of crossings that have gone in that kind of uh, like plate the I missed them on uh, one of the roads we've just gone past, but some artworks on, on crossings, um, kind of furniture for college students to sit on and kind of some outside space I think they really the physical things I think demonstrate that the place is really physically starting to change before the projects actually come in themselves um, the major projects and then I think there's an awful lot of kind of community type support which um, uh, so there's a kind of there's an art store in the Whitgift Centre that's using the space while um, using the space before kind of it all closes down uh, that's supporting a local arts group uh, called Turf um, and Kingston Art School I think is in there as well so they're kind of getting used of having kind of a shop front and things like that so it's kind of I think it's supporting the arts as well in Croydon and the fact that it's not just and young people and kind of giving them a place to work that 
you know, in terms of having an affordable workspace and space that they can just kind of kick around some ideas, basically. It's kind of a rare thing to have in London. So your new headquarters? Yeah, it's here. On George Street? Yeah. And uh, did you guys design this one? We did. So tell me about it. You're right there. It looks like a shop front. Like yeah. you can, people are going to be able to come in. Yeah. So we've got, uh, it's an old Victorian kind of commercial property. We've got um, the ground floor is going to be what we're calling the brick by brick shop, which uh, we have got set up with our finishes and that we've got in our um, market sale and uh, shared ownership flats. Um, and we can pop in and have a look at that in a second. Um, and then above it, we're going to have there's three floors, uh, which will be the brick by brick uh, office and also common grounds office. So we'll very much be kind of have our own identity as that's separate from the council. Kind of you can come in, you can like if people want to meet who's designed their home, they can. I'm sure kind of it will be an interesting journey and being, having a very public presence. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really exciting and I think it's going to be a really exciting kind of journey for our organisation as well to kind of move from like where we are at the moment, which is quite a corporate office-y type workplace to something that's actually kind of quite homey. Uh, it's going to be quite interesting. So, so Common Ground... Um is designing this has designed is designing the other station road station road yeah. scheme do you plan for them to be designing more of the schemes going forward um we want to take on as many as we realistically can um there's going to be about 10 of us shortly in the team there's about seven of us at the moment um and we've grown from three kind of over the course of the last year and a half i guess um i think we we don't want to design all of our schemes because we like having the variety of different architects coming, bringing different things to the party. And it's, it's quite an interesting journey. I find it quite rewarding from having worked in kind of an architecture practice uh, where you kind of only expose yourself to a small kind of... I find architecture practices can be quite insular in terms of influences, whereas we kind of have the opportunity to work with... 10, 15 different architecture practices and kind of learn from them and kind of we're practicing what we preach as well for brick by brick in terms of we write the design brief. Does it actually work? Does it actually cause us problems? We've found a number of times we've broken the rules. <laughs> like, uh, we tell everybody else they have to do that, but we're not doing that. <laughs> and so it's quite it's quite interesting. And like every time we're working on a new project, we're like, oh, we should put that into the kind of, well, I'm now calling it a project manual, but um, yeah, it's quite an interesting process and setup to be a developer, client, and get to do architecture at the same time. Tell me about your facade here. So it's a little bit different. We're technically in a conservation area. Um, and what we wanted to do was something that was um, kind of quite bold because I think we are trying to kind of what we're doing with our building stock is quite different to a lot of other developers who are working in the area. So we kind of wanted to make a statement, but at the same time be um, kind of uh, kind of pay homage to kind of the era of the building. It's Victorian building, so we didn't want to go too over the top. So we've. We've literally started off with, with quite like, and we want it to look like, have kind of echoes of being somebody's home as well. So we're kind of literally just looking at the facade, kind of like we want 
like the idea that you can have the rather than going for full glazed kind of shop front we like the idea that you can have these kind of homely proportioned windows so we've gone for three very simple openings uh, one of which is the door and the other two will be kind of the setup to basically look at kind of a sofa scene in the window and they'll have some planters in them and then we also wanted to bring a bit of kind of decoration if, even though that's a bit of a dirty word um, to the and bring a texture to the shop front but very simply it's it's just kind of tim, stained timber battens with kind of inserted x's in it which from the brick by brick logo that kind of creates this nice patination to the and it moves as you walk past it some of them are set back and some of them are pushed forward um, and i think it's and it and it's black because we quite liked it being black <laughs> uh, and it makes it look quite different to everybody else i mean we did talk about it being orange, but unfortunately all about laptops next door is bright orange. <laughs> so you would have looked like... Yeah, so we thought maybe we should be an extension. a bit different. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, do you want to have a look inside? Yes, please. <laughs> so you're going to open in a few days. Yeah. What do you hope happens? Uh, we're going to invite... So I think on next Wednesday we're having a an evening which is like a sneak peek for kind of... Uh, kind of local councillors and um, kind of other people in the council that we've worked quite closely with so they've been part of the journey with us that they get to kind of see our new home um, and kind of our marketing suite and then the week after that we open our doors to the public so we've had we've already been registering we've had our websites been open to register interest for um, for kind of a good few months now um, and so we need to get, yeah, we're hoping that people walk through the door and fall in love with what we're doing and buy their new home. Great. I think I just have to thank you for today. That's all right. Thank you very much for coming. I'm sorry it's been so cold. <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by The Developer, produced by Simon Mercer, with music by Fortet. I'm Christine Murray, and you can reach me on Twitter at, at TC Murray. For more podcasts, visit us at thedeveloper.live.